We are live. Welcome to the Carl Vibe YouTube channel. If you're joining us in the chat, welcome, welcome. I've got some very special guests today, the paranormal couple. We've got uh, in the house today, live from a museum of haunted curiosities. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and add them right to the stream right now. Uh, how are you guys doing? Cody and Satori uh, from Ghost Nation. They've been on the Travel Channel. Uh, they've been featured as members of TAPS and have traveled all over the country and in the Boston, Massachusetts area where there's a host of paranormal activity and ghost encounters, and they've been right in the thick of it. Cody and Satori, welcome to the show. Why don't you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves and uh, where you guys are at and what you're up to today. Well, thank you so much for having us on, first and foremost. Um, so we are broadcasting uh, from the Boston area right now where the museum is currently uh, at its base location. Um, but a little bit about ourselves. So uh, I got into the field probably about 10 years ago now, and I've always been interested in it since I was about eight years old. Uh, like most investigators these days, uh, you get involved by having an experience most of the time. You have something that you know kind of opens your eyes to this stuff, and it just burns into the back of your head, and you want to research it. And as soon as that experience happened, which we can dive into it later if you'd like. Um, you know, it just kind of opened up that door. I started going to the library, taking out books on on what I had seen, Ghost, and you know, it turned into looking up UFOs and Bigfoot and everything supernatural that fell under that that title uh, became a big interest to me. And Satori grew up in it. I've been in it my entire life. I mm. mean, my dad started Taps before I was even born. And then the show took off while I was very young. So I've kind of just grown up knowing my dad was a ghost hunter. He would go and help people. And I wanted to be like him. So I guess I've just always been involved in it. That's really interesting. So like, I think, honestly, most people have had some kind of paranormal encounter, whether they disregard it as credible or not, and just move on with their their day or not. But I'm really fascinated to hear that origin story for both of you. So Cody, you say most people get into this because they've had an encounter. It's the same for me. I've had multiple different encounters and kind of growing up in a, in a religious environment and things like that. I was kind of keyed up to look for spiritual experiences that involved deceased ancestors and and family members and things like that and trying to make spiritual contact. And in, Mor in Mormonism that I grew up in, there's a lot of what they do work for the dead within the temples. And so you're always kind of steeped in this perception that there's the spirit realm is right here on earth and overlapped with your reality. I've also had like uh, what at the time was considered like a Bigfoot encounter. Although when I look back on it now, it's more kind of like a skinwalker ranch type encounter up in the, in the mountains. And I've seen some paranormal things in the sky considered like UFO UAP type activity. But Cody, let's start with you. Uh, what was like your first real taste of the paranormal or a haunted experience that kind of got you interested in the topic? Sure. So we grew up in a house in Massachusetts. It was my myself, uh, my parents, my mom and dad, and my grandparents also lived in the same house. They lived on the first floor. We lived on the second floor, kind of like a raised ranch style home, uh, very typical in the New England area. So, um, so one night I was about eight years old. And uh, I'm in my room trying to fall asleep and I, I didn't feel well. So I went into my parents' bedroom and, you know, like any eight-year-old would do, I said, you know, mom, I'm, I'm not feeling well. And uh, I ended up spending the night in their room. I climbed right in between my mom and my dad. 
And I remember tossing and turning, trying to fall asleep. And finally, I opened up my eyes to a bunch of men that were circling the bed. They were going through the wall on the left side of the headboard, gliding hmm. around the bed, going through the wall on the right side of the headboard, and just kind of kept floating around in a circle. And I distinctively remember seeing the TV through one of their heads. Uh, some of them were holding masks up to their face. Some had just holes for eyes. And they were all mumbling uh a thing that I couldn't understand. It was like they were all talking at the same time and I couldn't make out one word that was being said. Uh, so I remember trying to elbow my mom and wake her up. She wouldn't wake up. I remember trying to wake up my dad. He wouldn't wake up. Uh, so I ended up just pulling the covers over my head and falling asleep because, you know, it, it terrified me because, I, you know, I'd never seen anything like this in my life. I've never seen a person you could see through. Uh, so that, that that's what kind of opened up the door. But it wasn't only myself in that home. Everybody that lived there had some sort of experience. You know, my, my parents would go to work during the day and my grandparents would babysit me and we'd be on the first floor of the home. And then all of a sudden we, we would think somebody had broken in because you'd hear running up and down the hallway. And we, you know, we'd, we'd sprint up there thinking somebody was up upstairs and nobody was there. There was one time we had sworn that there was a, a dog upstairs uh, and we didn't own a dog at that time. And it was just running around. And, you know, we couldn't explain it. Uh, doors would open up and close by themselves. So as I got older, of course, like I mentioned, I started researching everything that had to do with, the, with, with paranormal phenomena in general. And uh, one of the big things that comes with that, you, you can't have a haunting without the history. So I started looking up all of the history in this area. And, you know, the New England area everywhere is like a, a Native American burial ground. Everywhere. Hmm has has Native American burial grounds. So that could be a possibility. The other strange thing was the property was built on an old coal mine at one time that was filled in. And mm. uh, at the time of the coal mine, it was before uh, they kept records of deaths and things like that. So who knows if there was any deaths on the property or in the in the general vicinity uh, that could have been, you know, coming into the house that was built later on. So that that's what kind of swung open the door for me. And then finally, I would join a team when I was about uh, 17 years old, 16 or 17. And, um, and you know, the rest is pretty much history with that. I think just living in this area, we're like the creepy attic of the United States. <laughs> Everything. There's so much story, so much history here, some of the oldest buildings in the country. So it's the perfect place to live if you're into this stuff, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such a fascinating thing. I want to dig into that here in a little bit after we get uh, Satori's story. I have a bunch of questions based on that, Cody. But first of all, Satori, what's uh, you kind of grew up with it with your dad. But what uh, what exactly hooked you personally when you would say you had your first real paranormal or haunted type encounter that you couldn't explain? Um, well, I've experienced many things, especially when I was little, because I've never been closed off to the possibility of the paranormal. So little things. So some of the first experiences my family has told me that there was one time I used to say I saw butterflies flying around my room and I wouldn't stop. I, I would be telling my parents there's butterflies flying all around my room when I'm trying to sleep. They won't go away. They're just flying everywhere. And my parents thought, oh, maybe this is just overactive imagination until one day they had gotten me a T-shirt. And I had looked at it and said, mom, look, it's the butterflies. And it was actually some sort of an angel-like illustration on my shirt. It was nothing that had to do with the butterfly. So that was some of the first experiences where my family had thought maybe I was more in tune. Um, as I've gotten older, there was uh, a time where we owned a hotel, a famously haunted hotel in New Hampshire. 
And um, that's where some of the most amazing experiences I had ever had occurred. Um, doors would open. We would have to knock on the door and ask to come in. And then the door would unlock because if we had just tried opening it on our own, they would lock the door. You'd hear the the knob turn and we wouldn't be able to get in. Um, we'd hear voices all over the place. It, it was an incredible location. So that's just some of the stuff that has really gotten me interested. I mean, also the fact that my father was an investigator already. It wasn't normal when he started investigating. So he kind of led that into the, uh, what's the word? Well, into the pop culture. Into right pop now, culture, yeah. I suppose. So yeah. it became normal and I wanted to do it. That's exactly what I wanted to do. Yeah. Normally, you know, when you have an encounter like this, it's immediately just dumped into kind of like a, a spiritual or a phenomenon or something like that. But I think like the, the recent in the last decade or so, the television series and the internet has kind of added a little bit of element of scientific research, especially like with taps, uh, actually taking uh, technology and devices in to try and measure the electromagnetic frequencies and the different types of anomalies that you can detect things with these objects or with these locations. And, and I think, first of all, it bears mentioning again that you guys are in a part of the country that you said is steeped with that history. And it's not even just so much that you're uh, in the in the mass area and around Boston and back east and everything over there where the uh, original colonizing occurred and a lot of that. But there uh, before that, it goes clear back into, like you said, the, the coal mines and, and there was no OSHA back then. There was no you know, laws about safety regulations and a lot of even child labor and things like that. And it's fascinating when you even go further than that, there's this deep ancient history with the mound builders and ancient people that we don't even know that's just been kind of scraped over and buried under. And it seems like these locations become like almost like a receptacle throughout time for that energy. Uh, to resonate on a on a building or a location or a geography where things seem to get hung up or stuck energetically so that when people die or major events occurred, it like imprints on the area or sort of makes it like a magnet for the paranormal or the phenomenon. But I w uh, before we dig into that too much, Cody, your experience raises a common question, which is a lot of people want to chalk it up to sleep paralysis or you mentioned you weren't feeling well. So right. I, I wanted to get your take, your guys' take on uh, how much of this you guys feel like has to do with our conscious perspectives of reality. You know, we're sort of harnessed and straightjacketed into only seeing the colors of the rainbow and only hearing a certain spectrum of sound waves and experiencing reality in a very narrow framework. And when you sort of become sick or ill, or you start to learn meditation secrets and things like that and practice it uh, or go into certain locations, it's almost not so much that there's the paranormal isn't always happening there, but that our ability to perceive it is suddenly opened up. So I wondered what your take on on that was, if you feel like you were having sort of an out-of-body uh, altered state of consciousness experience where you were able to see what was already going on, or do you feel like they just appeared in the room and you were physically awake, moving the blankets in your body, uh, very alert and aware? Where do you feel like that that occurred? 
Right. Yeah. I've always questioned if, if this was uh, an experience that truly happened. I mean, I've looked into hypnopompic and hypnagogic hallucinations uh, mm. and, you know, it's absolutely a possibility. Like you said, I wasn't feeling well, um, but uh, I would like to believe it did happen just because everybody in the home was was experiencing activity at some point, whether that's just a coincidence. Uh, and, you know, I had some sort of, um, you know, hallucination or something like that uh, is is quite the possibility uh, but no matter no matter what it was for you know that that's that's the thing that opened the door uh, and to this day I'm not hundred percent sure if it was truly paranormal or not uh, but you know there was other things that happened that kind of correlated with it uh, but I, I absolutely believe uh, that at least with a lot of the cases that we've dealt with um, we have dealt with cases of, of sleep paralysis and things like that. And something that has been termed the the old hag syndrome, believe it or not, yeah. where people feel like, uh, you know, they have uh, somebody that's walking up to them and either sitting on top of them or pressing down on top of them. And, you know, that's been, uh, you know, it's it, it can be proven away scientifically as just, you know, sleep paralysis. And it's a very scary situation. If you haven't ever experienced it, uh, it can really play some some, you know, horrible tricks on your mind uh, to think that there's some scary stuff going on. So TAPS was built on this on this foundation where we always try to, um, you know, debunk things first or uh, prove things that there, there is a normal explanation to what's going on first. Out of, you know, w with the cases that we've just worked on, it's been close to over 500 over the past 10 years or so. And, you know, we, we've been proven to, to disprove about 80% of the cases that we've gone into uh, coughing up to normal explanations. You know, my thought on the whole consciousness um, idea is it really makes you think, is the brain where the soul is housed? Because there's only, only times people have said they've really experienced things such as out of body is through meditation or they were sick or they, they had passed away and come back um, or cases like that. And it really makes you think is the soul in the brain and you just have to activate it somehow. That's a theory I like to think of because with everything we've experienced, especially together, the things we've seen and experienced together, it really makes you think that the soul is somewhere just inside the head and you just need to activate it. You just need to somehow open yourself up to that door. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, and the recent science, like Rather Be Squidding said, if you buy into quantum consciousness, it opens up the doors a lot to the supernatural phenomenon being natural, where when you consider that the subconscious isn't inside a box inside here, but is actually the experience of the outward reality, that starts to blend over a little bit. And I, I want to make a point about that. Everybody brings up the sleep paralysis thing with all of this, including the UFO phenomenon and abductions and the, all these paranormal things. But the, the cases where you have repeated locations where it doesn't matter who comes into the location, they experience the same phenomenon and also multiple people in the same location, all having the same experiences. Like you mentioned, the old hag, uh, for example, that's a common thing to have these three basic figures, the shadow figure, the man in the hat, the old hag, which is like a creepy witch type character that comes and sits on your back or your chest at night. And, and you find these cross-culturally around the world. So even disconnected cultures from Africa, even to uh, Hawaii. I know there's a specific hotel with a room in Hawaii where guests constantly are canceling their reservations and leaving because they have this ha encounter with this old hag and they've never had sleep paralysis before. So you have it kind of 
transcending those explanations a little bit, almost like these are real common occurrences that are going on around uh, the globe. And it doesn't really matter. The individual isn't somehow perceiving this uh, reality. It is a real phenomenon and it kind of crosses over there. I think that's really fascinating. But also, uh, there's some great questions here in the chat I want to bring up. Denise Vlogs asks, uh, how did you two paranormal driven people find each other and couple up? She's here for the love story. Okay. <laughs> so, um, like I said, I've been investigating, uh, I guess you'd, I don't know if you want to call it professionally or not. Uh, uh, I've been investigating with a team for about 10 years now. I've been part of TAPS for about six. So Tori joined the team, I would say, I don't know, about four or five years ago. And I had already been established on the team and uh you know she got an interest in joining the team so she joined the team and um let me tell you something talking about energies and things like that so you know like i mentioned most most cases that we go on are, are pretty boring to be honest with you we, we describe it like fishing you know you, you go out you fish you either catch something or you don't and it's a lot of waiting and 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 hoping something happens but usually it doesn't and that was the way it was up until Satori joined the team. And, you know, I definitely believe that the living people's energy has a big effect on the results of an investigation. If there is activity there, I believe that each individual person's living energy has an effect on the environment around it. And for some reason, Satori, you know, uh, when, when she started uh, coming onto the team, we would always be partnered up together, you know, before we were dating and um, we started noticing a pattern that whenever we were put in the same room together, strange stuff started to happen. You'd either hear footsteps walking into the room, lights would sometimes flicker, doors open and close. Maybe your heart would pitter patter just a little <laughs> <Yeah>. bit. <laughs> um, I think my heart was pitter pattering before hers, uh, but uh, absolutely. And I, for some reason, the people in the, that's a dog, a living dog that you hear barking, by the way. Um, <laughs> Uh, for some reason, the people in the, the other teammates in, on the team started noticing this as, as well, that, you know, some strange stuff started to happen. And then after a while, we had really worked with it and um, we had to kind of keep it away from the public eye because it was so unbelievable, some of the things that were happening. Um, and then it turned into intelligent communication. So if somebody has passed on and they are nearby, it seems when we are together, uh, we somehow open up a door to intelligently communicate. Yeah. Li now, listen, I went I went to school for physics because, you know, physics plays, in my opinion, a huge role in this whole field. Uh, I love to learn how things work. You know, I'm a big tech guy, so I love learning how the equipment works and how what it's documenting and recording. I think a piece of equipment is useless un unless it's data logging its findings. And, you know, there's stuff that's happened that has defied the laws of physics yeah. as we know it today. And you can hear me tell stories over and over again, but you won't truly believe it until you experience it for yourself. It, <laughs> and for anybody asking, we don't say we're psychics or mediums or anything like not, that. We no. have, we can't do that stuff. We do something completely different that nobody else we've we ever have no idea what heard of is. has been able to do. have no idea what it is. And you know, we kept it, you know, we kept it a secret for a few years just to learn about what was going on and kind of experiment mm. with it. And, you know, I had never, ever experienced anything like this in my life. And, you know, I definitely think it has to do with with the internal energy of of every individual. I think when certain people come into a room um, and are together, 
it somehow flips on that light switch that that draws things in. And, you know, we, we do uh, public events as well where the public can come and investigate. And we usually do this at locations that's known to have activity. And sometimes you have a group of people that, you know, you can kind of feel it. I mean, have you ever walked into a place and you kind of get a feeling that, yo, wait a minute, somebody, something bad is going to happen. You know, maybe there's a fight oh, yeah. that's going to happen. You kind of get that feeling, that intuition feeling that, you know, something's wrong. The energy in this building is kind of off. And uh, it's kind of that same feeling. We get a group of people, nothing will happen. Get another group of people, you feel like the energy, wow, this feels good. And then something will happen. And I definitely think that energy has a huge role in everything that we're doing. Yeah, definitely. I think that's really fascinating that when the two of you uh, paired up or got together in a particular location, that that sort of became like a, a resonance to the event or or an attraction to the event. And you see the same thing on uh, like Skinwalker Ranch. They talk about that. Like when you do anything new or bring somebody new onto the property up there in the Uintah Basin, that it's sort of like, like, a, like a hummingbird to a, a a flower or to nectar, it attracts these types of paranormal events or somehow the two people tuned into each other at the right resonance seems to like chum the water for these things or open up the perceptions in a certain way. So uh, I think that's really fascinating that you have uh, the common particular combination of events or people getting together. And then it, it sort of sparks that. And, and what do you, have you guys, heard a lot about Skinwalker Ranch and what's going on there because it sort of transcends this idea of UFOs in the sky, extraterrestrials from outer space into interdimensional reality being overlapped. And then also this spiritual paranormal poltergeist type activity running around on the ground, coming in and out of portals. What is your guys' take on Skinwalker Ranch and that whole environment? We have a lot of Skinwalker Ranch fans in the comments right now too. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I've been following Skinwalker Ranch ever since the days of, you know, Robert Bigelow and, and you know, his, you know, testing on the, on the whole property. And, you know, I think places like that absolutely exist. Locally in New England, we have a place uh, that's known as like the Bridgewater Triangle. That's when it's been. Yeah. And uh, very similar to like the Bermuda Triangle. And I think the geological makeup of certain locations absolutely plays a role in the amount of activity uh that, that the location has as well. In the New England area, we have large deposits of limestones and minerals that are able to, you know, to hold energy, quartz. I mean, uh, you know, you use quartz and watches to retain the frequency so the watch runs correctly. And uh, these minerals are able to retain energy so I definitely believe, and the same with the Stanley Hotel, there's been a whole documentary made about the geological properties under the Stanley Hotel, uh, which, you know, could explain why, uh, you know, there's so much paranormal activity there is because they're able to feed off of this energy. Likewise, I think with, the, with, with Skinwalker Ranch, I think it's a whole mix of variables that happen to fit together like a puzzle piece that, you know, certain conditions, very similar to two people with, with, you know, the right energy coming together. I think it's uh, the same thing with, with land. And, you know, maybe it's the geological makeup, the people that were involved in that area at one time, uh, what's going on in the environment, environmental readings, which is a big thing that we pay attention to in the, in the paranormal field. Uh, the location uh, of, of where it is in the country, I think, plays a huge role in that. And, you know, all of this phenomena, like I mentioned, 
when it's when everything fits together perfectly i truly believe it's like a beacon that turns on and i i we definitely have a bunch of theories that um that everything that falls under the supernatural realm is connected in some way everything from crypto cryptozoology uh you know ufos spirits uh you know interdimensional time cross and and stuff like that we think it's all connected in somehow and the common denominator is energy and i think if the energy is is perfect then you know you have a place like the skinwalker ranch that has all of this activity happening in one area and when like you mentioned when new people come onto this property different things start happening you're introducing new energy into the into the environment which can absolutely stir up whatever's happening there yeah, I agree. I think uh, that was my first thought with the Skinwalker Ranch and even the Bridgewater Triangle. And then even all these ancient sites and locations, you've got historically, even the ancient uh, indigenous people uh, seem to have followed and built monoliths and monuments on these energetic ley lines or energetic pathways around the earth that they were able to sense where these paranormal type encounters were occurring. And they range everywhere from uh, extraterrestrial type entities and encounters to the paranormal ghost uh, poltergeist type encounters. And then you have the petroglyphs and the pictographs that kind of look like these beings and ghosts and stuff all over the place. But you bring up a good point with the, the geology and the crystals being sort of like a harnessing element to that. And we use crystals in ultrasound equipment to see uh, through pregnant women to look at babies or injuries and through the body and x-rays and thermal imaging and stuff like that to look outside our normal perspective. And one thing we don't think about is how many minerals we're dependent upon within our own body and our brain that harness the electromagnetic sin signals in the brain that account for even our own consciousness and perceptions of reality. Like even in our inner ear, our ability to balance is these liquid crystals that have to kind of align in a certain way. And we don't really account for that resonant energy in the environment uh, where reality could be thin or your perceptions could be enhanced. And our, if your consciousness in a, in a quantum physics sort of way is not just inside your skull, but is an energy field that exists outside your body. Like you said, when you're going to a room and you can kind of get a feeling like your spidey sense kicks in and you're like, wow, this place is creepy or something bad happened here. It's almost like you're, you can perceive outside the normal physical three-dimensional reality and your, your crystalline uh, physical makeup uh, can sort of detect this subconsciously. And then oh, when you get into an altered state of perception, you can suddenly see into these other dimensions of reality. And I think that's really fascinating. Christina brings up a good point uh, with that technology because we're, we're so limited with our perceptions that it helps for credibility to get people to understand what you're experiencing, to use the right technology and devices. So what sort of equipment do you guys prefer to use and then I wanted to second that, uh, follow up that question with the techniques that you guys use that seem to be unique and be effective uh, that you guys are trying out experimentally that, that <laughs> creates the event. You tackle the, 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 tech, the tech part. All right. So um, I noticed thermal imaging. We do use thermal imaging. Our brand that we use is FLIR cameras. Uh, we usually have them set up with our normal uh, infrared cameras. Uh, there's always been, so with a lot of the paranormal teams out there right now, uh, a lot of them use the standard like security system setup, you know, IR vision, night vision. Uh, but I believe that 
you know, the thing that we should be paying more attention to is the UV spectrum uh, using, uh, you know, full spectrum cameras that's able to see into the IR spectrum, ultraviolet spectrum, and, you know, as well as our spectrum that our eyes can see in and just use very low red and orange lights in a room. And, uh, and you know, I, I think that's where we should be paying more attention to rather than the IR spectrum. As far as equipment goes, like I mentioned before, I love using equipment that that data logs every every inch of its findings. A lot of people right now, uh, you know, they, they, they go for the equipment that likes to light up and beep and make noise, uh, which is great for the thrill seeker paranormal investigator. There's nothing wrong with that at all if, if you're that type of person. Uh, but going into, you know, if we want to document cases, uh, you know, we use things like EMF meters, but, uh, you know, electromagnetic meters, uh, but they're able to, to data log their findings. Uh, you know, same with audio. Audio, we get a lot of our uh, examples of, you know, spirit voice or EVP, electronic voice phenomena on audio. And uh, looking up into the making, uh, making up of, of what type of recorders we're using, we want to use recorders that covers a broad range of spectrum because the human ear right now, uh, depending on how well you can hear, hears be between a range of 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz or 20 kilohertz. And uh, that's if you have perfect, perfect hearing, which not everybody does, which could explain why if you know, all, all three of us are in a room together, uh, maybe I hear something, she hears something, but you don't. Maybe your your hearing spectrum is a little smaller than ours. And likewise, maybe you guys hear something I don't. Maybe it's speaking just outside of the hearing range that we can hear. So what we want to do is use recorders that are able to, to cover a broad uh, spectrum of audio and uh, able to use software to condense that spectrum, uh, either by slowing it down or speeding it up, to a spectrum that our ears can hear. And a lot of times we, we find things that we, we find voices that are talking on the lower end of that spectrum for some reason. Usually it's never on the higher end into the ultrasound frequency, uh, but it's on the lower end for some reason. So we like to pay attention to the lower end of the audio spectrum. Now with, with, with electromagnetic meters, there's two types. So there's man-made energy, that's the wiring in your house and battery operated equipment and things like that. And then there's a natural form of energy. So the biggest natural magnetic source is of course the earth. That's how our compasses work. Uh, we, have, we have natural meters that's only able to detect that type of EMF. So it can detect a person, a living person, if it walks into the room. And uh, you know, doing a lot of research on this, it's been a proven fact that every cell within the human body contains an extremely small amount of this, this EMF, this natural EMF. And, um, you know, we theorize that somehow our consciousness, uh, our understanding, our emotions are somehow intertwined within this energy. And that's the energy that's somehow able to retain and, and you know, come back and visit whatever you want to call it, a spirit, ghost, angel, and uh, interact with the environment. So what we like to do is kind of use all of this equipment together. And, uh, you know, if we get a voice, I've noticed that there's a small spike on a natural EMF meter, which mm -hmm. makes me think that when a voice is coming through, uh, it's coming through the electromagnetic spectrum. So a lot of times people don't hear the voices that we're picking up on, on the recording. It could be because they're speaking out of that hearing range, right? But I think uh, it, it's they're speaking through energy. I mean, when you pass on, you no longer have vocal cords, right? 
You know, right. no longer have vocal cords, just talk. So it would make sense that that it would be EMF energy. And kind of think of it like this. So if anybody plays the electric guitar, right? You have the guitar, it's plugged in uh, to an amp. And when you strum the chords, it, it you know resonates with the with the pickups and then blasts out the 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 amp. So if you kind of reverse that process, let's say you plug some music in uh, to uh, the the headphone jack, right? And start playing it out through the the pickups on the guitar. You won't be able to hear it, but if you hold a dynamic microphone up to the pickups on the guitar, you'll be able to hear the music perfectly because mm. it's being broadcasted out through EMF, which could explain why we don't hear these voices. So we like to correlate all different types of equipment, and uh, you know, make sure that if if we're going to say something's happening that there's more than one piece of equipment that's responding to the environment. Can you tell that he is the techie <laughs> one out of both of us? He's the one that likes all the tech and the equipment, and that's how he investigates. He's, he's big into the data logging and everything like that. And I'm my method is really just... Um, I guess I just feel everything out. I'm more, I feel the energy of situations. I like to go, if somebody says they're experiencing something, I like to take a walk around and see what I feel, my intuition, stuff like that. Um, I guess I'm just more in tune that way. Um, Which is I, great. That's it why it work, makes us the that's perfect That's why we work pair. good together because she's the more metaphysical one that, you know, likes to use crystals and things like that to ground herself. And I'm more of the tech person. And when we come together, it works really well together. Uh, and, you know, I really think it balances each other out. And something just made something's a noise over there. Over there. Something's yeah. over there. So let's talk about that. You guys are in, uh, you guys are curators of a museum full of paranormal on haunted and possessed items and historical items that have uh, indigenous cultural significance to uh, hauntings throughout time. So where, tell us a little bit really quick where you guys are at and why uh, the museum is so special. Uh, so currently we we're in the museum, which kind of started by accident. Uh, so we were going out on cases and once in a while we come across a case that, you know, it's believed that the catalyst of the haunting is an object. Now, uh, when you think of a haunted object, a lot of people say, oh, it's, it's possessed. You know, you're using the object as a vessel. Uh, but a lot of the objects that are contained in the museum that we've taken from cases or have been given to us from cases, um, is something that somebody loved when they were alive. You know, maybe it's a jewelry box or something or, or a doll or, or something that meant a lot to somebody at one point in time. And we believe that they're just checking in on it after they passed on. We don't believe that it's possessed. A lot of the stuff, so we have over about 300 objects right now in, in the museum. And growing. And uh, we get stuff sent in the mail randomly uh, every week. And, hmm. you know, the, our last resort. So a lot of people say, oh, you're just taking stuff from cases. So our last resort is actually taking the object. We usually try talking the person into keeping it uh, because, you know, a lot of the stuff, like I mentioned, is family heirlooms and things like that. Um, so if somebody calls us up and says, you know, I, I think I have something that, that you know, is acting a little creepy and maybe moving by itself. We usually recommend, all right, remove it from the living space, get it out of the living <laughs> space and, and maybe put it in a shed on the property or in the basement and see if you notice a change. And a lot of times they notice a change and they're able to live, you know, their lives and, and uh, you know, be happy with the situation. To answer the comment I just saw up there, um, <laughs> we have plenty of those. Hollywood has made haunted dolls the big uh, haunted items. So if somebody thinks they're experiencing something, they instantly assume it's the doll. So we have many dolls that um, haven't proved their claims as of yet. We also have many dolls that have 
Mm. We've had dolls that have talked. Um, we actually have a video from this lovely piece behind me. She, we cannot put her in a box because she somehow gets out of it. Um, and really? She, yeah, we have her on recording at uh, two o'clock in the morning, actually picking herself up and adjusting herself on the shelf to get into a better position. So those are just some of the dolls that we have. We yeah, have so many. It's extremely rare. We have surveillance running 24-7 to try you know, catching anything that moves on its own. And not everything has lived up to its claims by by all means. Uh, I would say, um, I don't know, maybe 30% of the stuff has actually lived up to the claims. We have noticed that when we bring a new object in, sometimes it takes a little while to get acclimated to its new environment. Uh, sometimes it takes a couple of days for it to start living up to the claims. Sometimes a couple of weeks, a couple of months, a couple of years, and sometimes it never happens. Uh, we've noticed that. And sometimes it depends where in the museum the object is sitting because we think that the other objects around have some sort of influence on it. Uh, again, with the energy, uh, you know, we had one instance uh, where we came down one time and we have this wall of dolls. We get a doll in the mail probably every other it week. It used to be right here. It used to be right here. You want to tell that story? What happened? So Liza's the one that I said moved and we had gotten her because a man had claimed that he had actually called. He was hysterical and said, this doll keeps talking to me. She's speaking inside my head, telling me to hurt myself and other people. And that's a red flag for us. We wanted to calm down the situation. So we did. Um, we had uh, met up in person, taken this doll off of him. We had asked him, why haven't you tried throwing it out? Obviously, we don't want that to happen. But we had asked. He said, I did. It keeps coming back. It's being brought to my front door when I throw it away by the the garbage men. I don't know why. Um, so we had taken this doll, um, brought her here. She is a very, we don't think she's a negative entity. We just think she's maybe a not so nice individual because, you know, there's plenty of people like that. So we had put her down here and we decided to leave her on the shelf because she does not like being put in a box. So that was the, uh, okay, we won't mess with you. You don't mess with us. We protect you kind of compromise. We had a whole wall of dolls here and she's sitting on this shelf. We had come down here um, not too long ago. This wasn't too long ago. And all the dolls' heads were turned 180 degrees facing the opposite direction of her. And so we had sat there. I don't know. I think we had taken photos. We had sat there and looked yeah, at it. And we just thought it was the strangest thing ever. Almost like either she had turned their heads or all their heads had turned around to stay away from her. Um, we had... a fix them, come back down a couple hours later, and they were all like that again. So we had to move all the dolls to the different side of the museum, and it thankfully stopped. Right, exactly. And we have noticed, like Satori mentioned, you know, this, this gentleman kept trying to get rid of the doll, and then it would keep coming back. Uh, we have noticed that a lot of people, uh, the same occurrences happen. They try getting rid of something, and it always ends up back in their life somehow. Maybe a family member brings it back. In this case, the garbage man or somebody in the apartment building ended up bringing it back. And, uh, you know, when people purchase these things, we have stuff that people have purchased at, like, secondhand stores, estate sales. And the common denominator is a lot of people, they feel this mag... It's almost like a magnetic pull towards the object. Uh, like, we have a little clown statue up there that, you know, somebody... <laughs> You know, was walking through a, a secondhand store and was drawn to buy this 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 clown figurine that was probably made by the thousands at one point in some factory. But for some reason, something happened. You know, with this with this figurine, whether it was loved by somebody at one time or you know something you know terrible happened around it. I'm not really sure, but some energy was drawing him in to purchase this and you know take it home with them. And then that's when you know all heck broke loose and, and stuff started happening. Now, one of the big things we get with, with the paranormal in general, especially with this object is, 
you know, psychological, uh, you know, effects and things like that? Could somebody, um, you know, be mentally, um, you know, experiencing these things and it's not paranormal. Uh, so thankfully with TAPS, we've been able to build up this big uh, index of contacts and uh, we have psychological uh, professionals that we can reach out to, uh, to kind of evaluate uh, the people that we come in contact with. And that's exactly what we did with this person that uh, that owned Liza up there at one time, and everything checked out with this individual. And as he soon was as the doll, fine after. yeah, as soon as the doll was gone, he ended up being perfectly fine. So uh, as long as that helped him out, then I guess in the end, no matter if it's paranormal or not, uh, it helped the situation. Yeah, it really makes you wonder. You know, we identify as human beings with the the things that we own, uh, like we possess them, even when we're living, we, we get uh, something that's like a family heirloom, and we become emotionally attached. And it seems like so much of this energy that we're talking about is conscious attachment at a deep emotional level, sometimes based on trauma, sometimes it's based on maybe the individual for multiple generations in a family really loving an object or a doll or something or sitting in a chair for long periods of time or sleeping in a particular room that they were stuck in during a plague or something. But then you also have uh, these like traumatic energetic experiences that are attached to particular locations and objects. And it makes you wonder if it sort of absorbs into that environment or if we're talking about a question of like over time slippage overlapping time to where these traumatic events uh, are basically still occurring somewhere in what we would consider in linear time like the past. But in reality, if there is really no time, it's sort of a resonance that uh, we're just not perceiving that is ongoing still in that dimension of reality. So that attachment is still attached to that object, even though those people uh, are are not with that object anymore. And when it starts to get interfered with or other people move into that house, they feel like from their perspective of dimension of dimensional reality, like they're the ones being haunted. So maybe the entities, is that something that you could speak to how maybe the entities feel like we're the ghosts from their perspective or that's interesting. We were actually just talking about um, the parents, Mrs. Perrin, right. she, the story that she had, exactly. um, Mrs. Perrin, um, the family that was living in the Conjuring House, now known as the Conjuring House, um, at the time, she had actually had an experience where she was in the dining area and right. she had turned around in the house and seen an older family dressed in old clothing eating at a table. And one of them had looked up and nudged the other one because he looked amazed to see her. And they both looked up and looked like they saw a ghost, which was her. She she was alive. And then they dissipated. They went Like away. she was the ghost, even though from her perspective, they were. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. We we're, we're we're very good friends with with the parent family that the whole you know the Conjuring movie was based off of. We've been to the actual house many times, and um, the house today isn't as active as, as when the parent family moved in. And in that situation, you have you know five girls uh, living under the same roof, and we found that a lot of activity um, actually revolves around young females, especially in that age group. Um, you know, the energy that's being put out for some reason is somehow interacting with the environment. And again, I think it's that, that situation where it was, you know, all the puzzle pieces fit together with the property and the current family that's living there. 
where everything happens paranormal and then maybe the next family moves in and not that much happens there. Uh, so I definitely believe that, you know, what she experienced might not ever be experienced again because of the energy of the living people that are there. It's just interesting to think if there's another dimension where time may move backwards of some sort, because they did find a parallel dimension. Didn't scientists just recently find a parallel parallel dimension where time moves backwards? They had discovered this, and it makes you think, what if we are the ghosts to somebody back in time? This is a time slip they had, and they saw what really was another individual just in the future. Right, and the other thing that we deal with a lot is something that has been dubbed residual hauntings uh so it, it's kind of very similar to a time slip it's it's kind of hard to uh differentiate differentiate <laughs> differentiate the two uh unless it's an intelligent um you know communication like with with carolyn perrin there seeing those people and having them react to seeing her that would be an intelligent response but there's plenty of instances where we've dealt with cases where um it's not intelligent they're kind of in their own space and doing their own thing Let's say every morning you wake up, you go to the bathroom, brush your teeth, go down the stairs, have a cup of coffee. You do that every single day, that same path every single day. And it gets, you know, imprinted on on the home that, that, that you're living in or the environment that you're living in. We get a lot of reports of people seeing spirits walk through walls. You end up looking at the blueprints of the property and there used to be a door there back in the 1800s. And I suppose that answers Christina's question a bit. It could vary. It could really vary because we've had conversations with spirits in this museum and we've said good night or hope you're doing well. And we've heard direct responses, which means oh, they're yeah, intelligently yeah. there. One mask we I said good night to after we did a presentation on him. He's from Africa. And in a thick accented voice, I heard we heard a man with our own ears saying good night, responding to us as we left the museum. And we knew it was him. Hmm. So I think it varies. I think there's a possibility that what you're seeing may be from another time period or another dimension and what you're seeing could actually be someone who shed their physical form and went to this other dimension where they can communicate right that's a good point because you have this idea of people they uh, these encounters occurring because there's just like an overlap and you happen to catch a glimpse like almost a deja vu moment or something where something that is just doing its thing and completely unaware that you can see it or happen to perceive it for a moment just happens to pass through or go by the room and it's on its way. And when you really think about that outside of even just human beings, all the animals and other life forms that have dominated this planet from dinosaurs to critters to all sorts of things that have some level of higher intelligence that could also be resonating as a migratory thing through the area. And now you've built a house there on top of where they used to live. And there that paranormal encounter can be perceived as animalistic or like a, a Bigfoot or skinwalker or something interesting like that. But then it's a whole nother thing to be able to ask a question and have that interaction and that conversation in real time, almost like those dimensional realities are overlapped. So you have uh, something that you're interacting with uh, that responds to you in real time as though from its perspective, it's trying to do the same thing from, through the veil or whatever, or through the midst uh, of what's going on. It's very fascinating. So these objects that you guys have around you seem to sort of harness or be like a receptacle or amplifier for this type of live one-on-one -on -one interaction. And I wanted to have you give you guys the opportunity to tell some of those stories a little bit. What are some of those experiences that have really convinced you guys or been confirming that this is a, like a real-time interactive uh, dimensional 
uh, interplay between what's happening now and what's going on in this other overlay. Because like I do graphic design and video editing all the time. Mm -hmm. And you can have you have your background layer, which is like your main image. And then there's multiple layers that you layer over top of that to create that one final result. But the other ones might be thinner or less opaque. And uh, and you wonder if time and space and what we perceive as linear really isn't. It's all compressed. Uh, and we're just in a physical body to, re- to perceive it in our way. So, yeah, let's talk about these objects that seem to amplify and create a pathway for interaction. And that is a really... Uh, creepy doll <laughs> it's a clown we and got it's a raggedy and all together sort this of one, yes yeah, this it's... one yeah kind of pop talking about space and time and interacting with it this one came up uh in the top of my head so i went to the other side of the room and grabbed her uh so this, this doll jolene. her name has been dubbed jolene and um she came from a children's daycare center in connecticut and handmade by the way is that hand so you have somebody sitting there really putting their thought and emotions into hand forming and stitching this thing, almost conveying a personality into it, you know, from the get go in its creation. It's very interesting. Exactly. So in this daycare facility, she was sitting in, I would say like a 1950s metal chair. She was sitting upright and everything was fine for months. And then the children started going over, they would hold her hand or, or tug on her foot and the, the staff members started seeing what looked like a one-way conversation with the doll. And, you know, they were, you know, imaginations. That's what they dubbed it up to be. But then it turned into the children starting to cry and run over to the staff members saying that Jolene here was starting to call them names and, and making them sad. They called one girl ugly and made her upset. And uh, so they're like, okay, well, that's, that's weird. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, they would say, all right, we'll just stay away from her and, and go play with the other toys or whatever. So one day, uh, the owner of this daycare facility is the person that opened up the daycare facility in the morning and locked it up in the evening. So she walks in and Jolene here is out of her chair about 10 feet away from it in the middle of the floor with some toys around her and just laying there. So this, of course, freaked her out. And, you know, the first thing that came to mind is, you know, is somebody playing like a prank on me? One of the other staff members that, you know, maybe they came in and, and moved her to try scaring me. But it was impossible because she's the only one who had the key. But she, when the, when the other staff members came in, you know, she, of course, asked them to make sure. And, you know, they were just as freaked out and thought that she was playing a joke on them. And uh, so they just picked her up, put her back in the chair and, and went along with their day. About a week later, she walks in, same thing happens. She's in the middle of the floor with the toys around her. And uh, this was the final straw for them. So they, they gave us a call. They heard us on a podcast just like this one. And, uh, and you know, when we got there, they just kind of pointed us what, what room she was in. <laughs> and, uh, and we went in and, and, and took her away. And everything there has been fine now. And but, she's proved her claim a couple times. Yeah, there's, there's probably like a top 10 objects in here and like i said not everything proves the claim there are some things that are very minuscule with the objects uh that happen but there's probably about 10 of them that you know live up to their claim she's in the top five yeah she's in the top five so there's been many instances but one that yet you know stands out in my head was we she's sitting in a very similar chair than than what she was sitting in at the daycare facility in the museum here and I had to borrow the chair to change like a light bulb or something. And uh, so we took her off the chair, put her down, took the chair over to the other side of the museum, changed the light bulb, come back. And she's gone. She's not there anymore. 
and it was just she's a big myself. doll she's a she's a very large doll so now we're like running around looking for her didn't and hear anything she's over here now uh sitting in one of the swivel chairs that we're sitting in now her you know, legs we were crossed left. her legs were crossed and we're like i'm like yes you know she had to pass two security cameras to get over to the side of the museum i was like i'm gonna get like a walking doll or something i'm like <laughs> this is amazing so um so I look at my phone. I'm like, well, you know, I don't have any notifications. So I, I, you know, I'm able to access all the footage on my my phone and I'm going back in time and I'm looking and there's no breaks in the video at all. Uh, but, you know, her foot's in one frame of the camera on that side and you see it just disappear. And then it's she didn't pass any of these cameras. It's like she teleported to another area of the museum. She teleported. You know, she had to. She, I don't know how it I don't know. I don't know called. how she passed two cameras. And she landed off frame of this camera over here. But, you know, I there's no break in the cameras at all. There's a clock in view of one of the cameras and you can see it ticking, you know, perfectly fine. Uh, so I have no idea how she moved from one end of the building to the other end of the building. And she's done without... it several times since then. She's moved around in her chair. We find her somewhere else in the museum. And it seems that she's she does a different pose every time. One time she was upside down with her legs in the air. We don't know how she does it or why she does it. But it seems that she's happy. It's stuff like this that you have to experience in person. Like I said, I can tell stories all day long. But this is something you have to experience in person. Uh I have I have no explanation. It defies everything that I've learned about physics. She's one of the more positive active objects. Yeah. So what are the, what are some of the other ones? First of all, really quick, I want to get into what the other top five objects are. This is really interesting because you're talking about a physical object that has a paranormal history to it that seems to be like a receptacle for these sort of events, similar to like we've been talking about, like skin Skinwalker Ranch. The same thing. You have They've got security cameras and people everywhere, uh, security teams. The Bridgewater Triangle has been heavily investigated, the, the Bempton Cliffs over in England and stuff. And it's very interesting that uh, even with all the technology and the devices and cameras and equipment, uh, they can't, you can't seem to catch these things on camera. It's like it's here one second and just out of frame, and then uh, you scroll to the next few frames and – it doesn't make any sense. And that kind of blows away this idea that there's just like a lost time episode where where you moved it and then forgot that you moved it or had some time slippage within your awareness. I think that that could also be a thing uh, that that definitely occurs as well. I've, I've encountered that before, but I think it's interesting when you're using the technology to try and capture it and try to break through that uh, to record it, but you, it's still so difficult to get. So um, Jazz Shaw has this good comment about that. I have a theory that there's a part of the brain that allows you to perceive ghosts. And I was born without that because I haven't seen anything in 60 years. And if there's any ghosts watching, he's totally fine with that now. (laughs) (laughs) And I just wanted to say that as well. I wonder if because part of it is that you're looking for it, you uh, or you're you're open to the idea. There's something that it's not necessarily that either you're hardwired to be able to perceive these things or not, but that, uh, and that may be the case, but that sometimes through meditation or altered states of consciousness, or like you were saying, hypnagogic states of mind, you're kind of stepping aside from just your normal vision and hearing and going and perceiving reality through more of a subconscious lens, or you're changing the radio dial a little bit to see outside of that normal 
uh, perspective day to day. And but somehow, uh, even when you're not expecting it, you're just changing a light bulb or something and getting up on a chair and you turn around and the doll is gone. And that's what really blows my mind is is uh, as those types of things. So, yeah, getting back to that. Uh, any, if you want any, to say anything about that, go ahead. But I would love to hear what these other objects that you have there in the museum. Yeah. I will say about the whole seeing ghosts, I've probably seen a ghost, I would say, two times. And both times, I didn't know I was seeing a ghost. Uh, one time was in a famously haunted location in the area, and uh, we were doing another public event. And there was somebody that was having a very hard time walking. Really, I'll really recap this story quickly. And uh, so she kept sitting out and would take breaks here and there. And everybody was on the third floor of this building. I'm on the second floor where we have our camera set up, and I'm just walking through. And I see her sitting on the couch. I see somebody sitting on the couch. Looked like a woman, solid, just like me and you. And and she was just sitting there. I said, "Hey, are you gonna are you gonna join? The other group's gonna be coming down. Are you gonna join?" She goes, "Oh, I'll catch up in a minute. I'm just taking another break." So I figured it was that woman. We had a camera set up on this whole area. I walk away, and um, and then I see the woman. <laughs> I see the woman that that I thought it was. So I was like, what? "It was in the dark." So I run back upstairs and there's nobody there. So now I'm walkie talking to everybody on the team and they're all searching. But there was a camera that was set up in this area. And it makes it weirds you out because he goes upstairs and he looks over at this corner that's pitch black and he goes, oh, you coming with us? everybody's on the third floor. And you hear it with sounds like a voice, but you can't make it all out and hear. Oh, and, and, it, and he goes, oh, OK, well, I'll come check on you and everything. And he's talking to nothing. There's nothing he's talking there. to nobody. There's nothing there at all. And, and that's all we have on camera. This person looked solid as Satori sitting next to me right now, sitting on that couch. And we walked over the couch and everything was messed up on the couch. So the video didn't pick up anything. It was a regular IR camera. And I was having a conversation with nothing there. But on audio, you heard the response. So you hmm. may think you, you may think you've never seen a ghost, but you may have and just thought it was a regular person. Because I would have never thought that wasn't a real person. Uh Unless, you know, I ended up meeting her down on the first floor when I walked by her again, you know? Yeah. And somehow they, they when those encounters can leave like a residual trail uh, or evidence behind, but not direct contact necessarily. Like uh, you get the the Bigfoot footprints or you get like uh, the radiation burns or different interesting things like that. But a lot of times it's just that perception opens up to something going on and then, uh, <laughs> and then you realize when you check it back that, wait, who I thought I was talking to is actually in the other room. And that wasn't them at all. What the hell exactly. just happened? You know, exactly. yeah, very fascinating. So, yeah. What what are these other objects you've got there? <laughs> so we had to take her out of her case. She had recently made her way into the top five most haunted objects we have because she had just proved her claim the other day. Um, this is called Death Angel. That's what her name has been dubbed. And the reason is, is because we had gotten it from a family that had obtained her, I believe, in a marketplace. Um, you know, one of those secondhand places. Yeah, she's from and the 70s, I believe, right? 70s or 80s yeah. is what we've been able to date her. She's vintage, as it says. Um, and we have asked this family, we're like, okay, why do you want to give this tree topper to us? Because it's just an old average tree topper, no lights or anything. Yeah, Christmas tree topper, yeah. And oh, okay. the woman, that the, the mom, she had claimed, she's like, this angel has been responsible for almost burning my house down three times going into the story she had said that they had put her on a christmas tree and she had burned down the first christmas tree well they didn't think she was she they thought it was an electrical problem the first christmas tree burned down luckily they had caught it in time the second time they had got another christmas tree in the same year um a week later the tree burned down again they started thinking how is she surviving this fire but nothing else is surviving 
Um, the third time they had waited till next year, put her in a box and they had taken her out and put her on the Christmas tree thinking nothing would happen. And it had burned down so bad that the entire house had almost caught fire and burned down to the ground and she survived. So they don't know how she's perfect. She perfectly survived. She had, this lady had given her to us and was hysterical. She said, you're going to think I'm crazy, but please just take it away. So we did. Um, we had put her in a box away from everything else, not away near any light fixtures or anything like that. Cause we don't want to risk having it prove its claim in our museum full of objects and burning down the museum. So we had locked her in a box over there. Um, almost like a quarantine period, nothing had happened. So we had integrated her back into the museum and, um, we cleaned her off. There was some like soot like material on the bottom of her on the cardboard piece. So we just wiped it off with a dry paper towel. And um, just the other day, we had come down here. Cody had picked her up to do a um, interview with her uh, live stream and noticed that she had recently just got covered at the bottom. If you can see the black. Yeah, it's like black soot around the base. It looks like she was on top of a candle and all the black soot from the fire had just accumulated on her dress and her. It goes Mm. up her. we checked to make sure the smoke alarms didn't go off. There's no damage to the case, just a ring of soot. Um, so we were we were sitting there completely flabbergasted. We didn't know what had just happened. We thought she had tried burning something down, but nothing is damaged. And we had actually noticed it's still there. Um, if you want to see after, we can totally send you the photo. There is a handprint, a small, small handprint that looks like finger painting with soot on the wall actually right there we had left it we'd taken photos and measured it it looks like a child's hand and it's right near where her case is so she had proved her claim we don't know how to explain what just happened it just happened the other day um but thankfully we thanked her for not burning down the museum um and just at least playing with soot that's fine we can clean that up um thank you for not damaging anything but she had just proven her claim yeah so my first my first thought was when the family called us is like well geez you have an electrical problem because you know the maybe something's catching on fire with the christmas lights or something so she goes oh my husband's my husband's an electrician and he couldn't figure (laughs) out why why the tree kept catching on fire he rewired the plug right after the first fire and i was like okay well that's strange um but you know something that we've noticed with with these objects is when people think that they have like a cursed object or something everything that starts to go wrong in their life no matter if it's the object itself or just something that's going wrong i mean everybody has a bad day they automatically start blaming the object for whatever's happening and um you know we try to calm people down with that um but we've noticed that, you know, some of the objects we have, I don't really think there's anything attached to them. Um, but, you know, once that idea, that thought is put into somebody's head, you know, it it, it just, it's like a, a ball rolling down a hill. It just keeps, you know, building, building, building. And everything that goes wrong in your life, you're blaming on this object to the point where you call us to get rid of it. And that's what we thought it was. We were skeptical of this entire story. I mean, a, a Christmas tree topper burning down three Christmas trees. We were very skeptical. Um, thankfully, there's no fire to prove this claim, but she's just covered in soot. And now we have to hold her with gloves because we don't want to clean her off and have it come back even worse than the last time. We had it tested with bleach um, to make sure it wasn't mold or anything like that. And it is soot because it stays black in the bleach substance. Um, and we've we've asked expert other experts on this and they agree. They're like, there's no way. The handprint makes absolutely no sense. So we've kind of just left it there <laughs> to, to appease her. We've left it there. Here's, wow. a, here's a drum here. It's rather big. <laughs> wow. But it was uh, passed down generation, generation. And uh, the quick story is 
Um, we got an email from a couple that lives in Massachusetts, young couple. They had just moved into their first apartment together. And um, what had happened was uh, his great grandfather had died and the drum was passed on to his grandfather who passed away and it was given to him. Originally, it was supposed to be given to his, his mother, but she didn't want it. She lived in another state. So he took it back to the apartment. And what happened was um, while the drum was sitting in the apartment, they fall asleep and they're awoken by drumming and scares the heck out of the girlfriend. And, you know, they, they were a very spiritual family. Uh, it, there were stories about the drum doing this at, at times, uh, but it freaked her out really bad. So they moved the drum out of the bedroom into the living room. It happens again so loud that the neighbor in the apartment next to them uh, comes and knocks on the door and is like, listen, you can't be playing music. I hear your bass. You know, you have to turn it down. I have to work in the morning. So he, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. And, you know, just plays it off as loud music. And uh, the girlfriend was so upset that she's like, listen, you have to get rid of the drum or I'm moving out. I'm done. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm done. So he had emailed us. He was pretty much pleading at this case. We were telling him, you can keep it. It's a family heirloom. And he said, no, I need to get rid of this. It's ruining my relationship. And that's where we had taken it. And we've always given him a chance to text us if he ever wants it back. But he has never contacted us since. Yeah. So yeah, anything here. Uh, we've always given the option if anybody ever wants it back to email us, but not one person has, has taken their And we have back heard yet. drumming once, but you know, we, we want to get more before we instantly assume that it's active. It could have just been a fluke thing, but we have heard it once. And that's some of the objects in our museum. <laughs> that's really fascinating. What, what would you guys say uh, before we wrap this up? We're going on a little over an hour. What would you guys say is uh, the more or most haunted or paranormal type location that you guys have visited and then also tell us about your upcoming uh nationwide tour where you're going to be traveling around as the paranormal couple visiting all the hot spots and locations and what are some of those that you're excited to go visit sure so the most uh haunted building frequently or most recently that uh that we visited was actually uh on an episode of ghost nation it was a, a correctional facility in new york uh, that, of course, has been closed down and a, a famous soccer player actually purchased it and is turning into a big sports complex. But Satori and myself uh, were down in the tunnels, miles and miles of tunnels under these buildings. And uh, we were there with a, a cameraman and uh, he was walking ahead of us. And I happened to look back to the tunnel we had just come from and uh, I see a dog, like a big German Shepherd dog sitting in the middle of the tunnel. And I turn back and tell Tori and when I come back, the dog is gone. And, uh, you know, we'd run back. It was like a dirt floor, no footprints of a dog. We followed it all the way to the end. It ends with like a great, couldn't explain it, but there was just so much activity that we experienced there. There was so much voices, footsteps, everything. Um, when it comes to the tour that we're going to be doing, uh, there's so many haunted locations that have already contacted us about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we, um, so the museum's going on the road this fall. And uh, we're taking everything, uh, a big traveling exhibit. If you've ever been to like the Titanic traveling exhibit, it's very immersive like that. We've recreated uh, different, uh, you know, scenes. Uh, so you kind of get immersed into the environment. Uh, so we're going to go into different haunted locations around the country. And, uh, you know, you can either just tour the objects, which would probably take about an hour and a half. And if you're brave enough, you can investigate and uh, with the objects after hours uh, at the haunted location 
uh, to see if anything paranormal happens. Uh, so that starts in uh, September. The first yep. stop is in Connecticut. And then uh, we'll be releasing the schedule uh, as it comes very soon. We're going to be re releasing a lot of dates. And if on... anybody wants to stay up to date, you can contact uh you can either contact us, check out our Facebook, the Paranormal Couples Haunted Museum, and our website, paranormalcouple.com. That'll have all of our events on the event tab. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And then on Facebook, uh, we're at the Paranormal Couples Haunted Museum. And if you think you have something strange going on and just need some advice, feel free to message us on any social media. We usually get back to everybody uh, or just send us an email, contact at paranormalcouple.com. And uh, and we'll get back to you. That's awesome. And I put all the, the link down in the description of this video below. So if you want to see where Cody and Satori are going to be headed out uh, this fall and go and visit them and meet them in person, interact with these uh, paranormal objects and interesting objects in actual haunted locations near you, please hit them up and check them out online. Follow their page on Facebook and on social media everywhere. Cody and Satori, this has been an awesome interview. I would love to have you guys back on again sometime if you guys are willing. And if you come through this area, everything from Area 51 to the Petroglyphs to the Marble Canyon over at the Grand Canyon up to Skinwalker Ranch and down in Arizona, there's all sorts of crazy places uh, we could go visit, not to mention the Mountain Meadows Massacre area. So if you come through here, I'd love to hang out with you guys. And I appreciate your time so much. And and bringing a higher level of conversation to this topic besides just running around and trying to make it entertaining. I think you guys are uh, scientific based. You're also addressing it as far as quantum physics is involved in the paranormal and also the nature of reality and human consciousness and how that plays in. And even we talked about uh, geology and geography and how that could uh, harness the events. So uh, Satori and Cody, thank you so much. And I hope to see you guys soon. Thank, thank you. you. Have a good one.